Thank you for listening to the CEO-ish podcast hosted by me, Taylor Graham. And me, Chloe Willemson. We are so excited to announce that our very own podcasting platform, Zencaster, has become our first official sponsor for the show. Check out the podcast discount link in our show notes and stay tuned for why we love using Zencaster for our podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the CEO side of the CEO-ish podcast, or welcome if you're a new listener of ours. As always, we are Chloe and Taylor, and every week we chat with your favorite entrepreneurs, creators, and artists about all things entrepreneurship, social media, self-care, a little woo-woo spirituality here and there, and most importantly, how all of these, these things come together to impact our mental health as creatives. This week's Entrepreneurs and Creators of Choice is actually a little podcast swap with Stephanie and Emily of the Cycle Chats podcast. Their episode with us is releasing today, obviously, and our episode with them will be releasing tomorrow. So I will have that linked in the show notes for you guys as soon as the link is live. So definitely check it out. We give major Abby and Alana vibes from Broad City, and we are here for it. Oh, it's so much fun. We chatted with Emily and Steph about their podcast, how they got started, and its evolution. We talked about their sex education, their entrepreneurial and mental health journeys as women who work in the performing arts world, how they keep their routines and mental health in check while on tour, how their professional training within the performing arts world makes them better podcasters, and a whole bunch of other random, fun conversations. Because again, major Broad City vibes here. We also want to add that this interview was pre-recorded prior to us moving to Nashville and prior to us announcing it publicly. So we do chat a little bit with them about the move. But if the conversation seems a little out of order, that is why. But without further ado, we are excited to introduce you guys to the ladies from the Cycle Chats podcast. Podcasting remotely can be challenging. I mean, God knows Chloe and I started a podcast in the middle of a pandemic with zero experience. But thanks to Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution, the podcasting process has been quick and painless, the way it should be. If you've listened to our podcast for any length of time, you know that we have been obsessed with the quality of our audio from day one, and Zencaster provides crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. Not to mention, it's super easy to use, even for guests that aren't tech savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy. With everything from local recording to automatic post-productions in the tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get the episode done. We want you guys to have the same easy experience as we do for all of your podcasting and content needs. If you go to www.zen.ai slash CEOishpod and enter the promo code CEOishpod, you'll get 30% off your first three months. That's www.zen.ai slash C-E-O-I-S-H-P-O-D. It's time to share your story. Hello and welcome Stephanie and Emily to our podcast. We are so excited to have you both here, especially after our part of the podcast swap yesterday. So for our listeners, this is the second duo that we have talked to on the podcast that have a very similar dynamic to us. Emily and I are both the strategists, while Chloe and Stephanie are definitely the creatives. And it's always nice meeting other duos with a similar dynamic to us that we can bond over how well we work together with. So, And because we all gelled so well together, we're basically besties at this point, and we're already making plans with them for to come down to visit us in Nashville. But for now, again, we are so excited to have them here on our podcast. So Emily and Steph, why don't you guys start off by telling our listeners a little bit about the Cycle Chats podcast, its evolution, and how it got started. Yeah. Steph, you want to go? I mean, I don't know. Do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah, you got this. I trust okay. you. Well, I'm Stephanie. I'm one of the Cycle Halves, as we like to call ourselves. And Cycle Chats is a podcast to destigmatize what it means to be a woman and more specifically to break the cycle so we're all about stopping the competition and starting the collaboration with one another. I would say that she kind of had her own legs. She had her own idea of what she wanted to be. We tried to put her in a box and she punched right through it and then slapped us both. 
had a cigarette and was like, let me show you what I'm going to be. And you're like, okay, wow, a little intense, but we're in for it. I love that. <laughs> so yeah, she's a, she's a badass. Um, but kind of how it started was that we had another company which was a period subscription box and all of the products in the box were made by small women owned businesses. And it was an idea that myself, Emily and another friend of ours, Rebecca had come up with and we put that into play, but we wanted to make sure it was education based. So we thought what better way to do it than to maybe do a podcast, right? So that'll be our education piece. And we'll be able to talk about the different things in the box and your menstrual cycle and all sorts of you know, the beauty that is being a woman. And while the business uh, no longer stands, the podcast kind of created its own lane. She evolved into something much bigger. When we had our first guest on, Nick, um, she's amazing. She works with a company called Girls Fight Back. She's um, pretty much in charge of the thing. And we had her on the show and the whole idea was, okay, we're going to ask her about her first period. That's going to be the whole the whole kind of uh, catch. And we ended up talking about everything but that. And when we hung up the call, Emily and I looked kind of t- looked at each other. I think we were on video chat or we might have called one another. We were like, what just happened? And we had, I think we both shared a moment where we knew that this was going to be something very different. We just didn't quite know yet what it was. So her evolution has been um, hot, heavy, and the coolest thing I think I've ever gotten a chance to be a part of, really and truly. Emily, your thoughts, comments, concerns, questions? (laughs) (laughs) So many questions. No, no questions. I thought you did a superb job. I mean, clearly we've like done this before, so I kind of feel like we we have it down packed and share similar ways of explaining our ways of, you know, coming, becoming cycle chats. But I think the thing that I will add to Stephanie's already lovely description is that we wanted it to be so educational based because we are both teachers. So that is really important to us. We came from a children's theater background. I now teach as an adjunct professor at a few local colleges over here, which is really exciting. Um, And we love education. I think education is key to a lot of things because unfortunately people aren't being educated about so much. So they just take things as surface value. So that's what we kind of wanted to bring was the educational aspect of what it is to be a woman and breaking that cycle of the stigmas that are out there. And there's so many. I love that. I wish your podcast was around while we were going through puberty. That would have been great. (laughs) I wish it was around, but you know, I think what's that thing? You can't meet your past self, your Mm -hmm. future self, whatever the law of time travel is. So sadly, we don't want to disrupt the the flow of the time (laughs) continuum. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. (laughs) But I mean, like my brother is an avid listener of our podcast. He's going to be 40 this year and he has two young girls, my nieces, Scarlett and Sadie, and they're 10 and 8. And Scarlett will start menstruating soon. And we were just talking the other day, my brother and I on the phone, and he was like, I just have to tell you sweets, which is my nickname. Um, He was like, I am so proud of you and I'm so thankful for the podcast because I have learned so much that has helped me, therefore, be able to communicate with my wife better. And also, it's going to help me to educate my daughters on what's actually going on in their body so that they have the information they need to have a better life. And Steph and I get that all the time from male listeners. Dads, I mean, they will listen and they're like, wow, we never knew. And that's that's awesome. the that's the thing, right? It's just like the communication is the missing link between our two sexes. It's just we're not speaking the same language sometimes yeah. because we're not taught how to speak the same language. No. I mean, that even brings me back to like elementary school sex education. We hardly learned anything at, like, you know, in the girls class, we hardly learned anything about the guys. I don't know what they learned about us, but it clearly wasn't much like you really only learn your basic stuff. And I feel like I didn't even learn a whole lot about my own basic stuff in elementary sex ed, you know? Exactly. And how sad is that, that you don't even know what's happening in your mm-hmm. own body or how it works? I mean, you're they're literally setting us up for failure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that something interesting is because we do actually mention this quite frequently on our show is the idea of birth control. I mean, growing up, when I went to the doctor for a heavy period, that was the first thing that she offered me. And for some people, it's great. It's been, it's changed the way that they're able to have their periods. I think it's awesome. However, 
I don't know that that's always should be like the first thing. Mm -hmm. And kind of as I've gotten older, I've realized that there are women who track their cycles and they're able to, they're able to have better periods by doing certain things throughout the month without the help of some sort of birth control. And I didn't even realize that was an option growing up. And I think that should be something that we're taught is that there are two avenues, you know, there's more than two, but the standard two avenues you can take, here are the pros and cons of each. We're just told, well, this is what everyone else does. So you have yeah. to do that too. But just because you and I both have a month long cycle doesn't mean we have the exact same days. We're going to be a little bit different. We're going to have different emotions, the way that we eat, the way that we are just in general. So I, I think I, I would hope sex ed eventually becomes something where it becomes more individualized and that it becomes a group building exercise for young girls mm -hmm. to be able to link up and say, oh, well, that happens to me, but that doesn't happen to me. Well, how do you deal with that? And be able to open up that line of communication with each other. I think that's really important. Definitely. And just having the conversation destigmatizes it. I remember when we, again, split up in our separate classrooms, it was like the most embarrassing day at school that we had to do that. We all walked out of that classroom with our heads down, like just wanting to be invisible, you know, and that just shouldn't be. Everybody has a period. Everybody goes through that. How how raunchy am I allowed to be? Can I tell a story? Yeah, or go ahead. Please. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, when I was young, oh, so when we were in the sex ed classes, the groups finally came together and one of the girls was too embarrassed to ask a question about if the penis would get stuck in the vagina during intercourse. And I was here for it. I was ready to learn. I was like fascinated by the subject. I was like, what? What is this thing only adults can do? Um, and so I raised my hand and I asked and all of the kids started laughing. But doesn't that go to show you that like in that situation, it's I don't, it was presented in such a like odd way that – we felt embarrassed to ask questions out of curiosity because that's what it is. It's it's a taboo, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. I also want to preface it with that I was in Catholic school. So, you oh, know, same, I always say I'm a recovering Catholic because the guilt that was placed upon me and the video that they made us watch of like, abstinence is cool, which it is. I mean, I know plenty of people who are like, nah, just, you know, it's not my thing. I'd rather wait. I was absent for a very long time, but I was like, I'm going to burn in hell even if I think about it. Couldn't be the case now. But um, it, it just, the way that it was presented was in such a like taboo and like, you've got to do it for the Lord. And I'm like, why would God be watching me do yeah. that? It's weird. <laughs> like, I'm a freak. Like, why would <laughs> So just my, hilarious. <laughs> my contribution to this conversation could be literally that I also went to Catholic school, but you had a much different experience than me because they just preached abstinence to us. They like didn't give us like a formal. I don't ever remember having like a formal oh, sex no. education class until literally high school. It was all self-research people. <laughs> Real no, they like showed us how to put a condom on a banana. No, See, no, no, no. I didn't have that either. I did not go never. to Catholic school, but I went to public school my my whole life. And I, every time we have this conversation with a guest, I honestly I go back in my memory and I cannot think of having like a sex edge education class in no. middle school. Like it was more like don't do drugs and alcohol. I do remember that. I remember the eighties mm -hmm. video that they made us watch the that had like videos. yes. <laughs> the ghosts of these kids that had died in these tragic oh ways come back. it was so 80s-tastic and amazing um but no and then I remember in high school that we did have sex ed but I don't remember learning that much like I think one day we talked about condoms but they never showed us how to put them on or like I was in middle school like that. I was in middle school when that happened um high school I remember nothing I, I don't even think they brought it up which is you would think that that would be the time mm -hmm. that you would want to talk about it. So I don't know. It was very backwards, my sex education. My mom had to take me to the library because I started asking a lot of questions that she was like, I don't know how to answer this. So she's like, we're going to go check out books. And I just remember being mortified. I was I like, oh, no. And like <laughs> the book would open to like a dick. And I'm like, ah, my eyes. Like oh. a drawing of it. <laughs> not an actual – my mother was not like, we're going to go to the store and grab some pornography. She just like – 
educational books that were drawn. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I remember my mom showing me like a puberty book when I started going through puberty and she opened up the page and it was a naked woman with a full bush and I was like, oh, my eyes. <laughs> I remember those days. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'll never forget that moment. It was in her back office and I was like, oh my God, is that what I, it's, oh my, I mean, I just couldn't even believe that like what was happening at all but that's my first it. puberty books were from like american girl doll yeah <gasps> mm-hmm. amazing i just remember being so embarrassed and uncomfortable every step of puberty like i remember hyping myself up for like half an hour to go talk to my mom and ask her to buy a bra my first time i was so embarrassed to have that conversation with her and like puberty was a terrible time for me it was not fun but yeah it's great that there's more resources out there and people destigmatizing it it really needs to happen. Oh, and I yeah. honestly, like, I would say that these conversations happen far few in between, which is mm-hmm. odd because that's kind of what we set mm-hmm. out originally for this podcast to be about. We talk more about mental health. I feel like that's the turn it's taken is like the the mental health piece of what goes into your cycle. So like mm-hmm. all the different phases and that's a really big component of it because Emily and I have had our own experience. I talk about it all the time. But a year ago, I um, ended up going to the hospital twice because I didn't know what was happening. Turns out I was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And like, they just kind of like sent me home. We're like, well, good luck. And I'm like, okay, well, thanks. I don't know what's going on right now. So (laughs) help would be appreciated. And like, so that was a big journey for us. And so I feel like as we change, so does our podcast. So it started with one thing, it shifted to another. And now I do feel like it's shifting again to kind of combined the idea of the different phases of our cycle, the mental health part of it, Mm -hmm. and also how to be successful in life with it. So how can you work in conjunction with it to get the things that you want and that you need? Because, you know, we're at a place now where we feel really confident, but we weren't always there. And so we want to be able to speak to those people. We got some really phenomenal advice from um, a group of guys over at Social Boom. They have a like a whole podcast, and they you know they were over at Podfest, which is where we were at recently. And they said, you know, you want to talk to the people. Your audience is the person that was right before the break. And so for me, it was like right before that mental health break that I had. That's the person I want to talk to. So for me, it's so important to be able to utilize the platform to speak to those who are like, where the hell do I get started? Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm on the verge of something and I don't want to break in half and I don't know that I have support. And so I feel like that's kind of where it's, it's more headed to. And I'm really thankful for that because it allows us to be able to speak to women like you who are doing something different than what we're doing, but also the same. So it's cool to see how we're all kind of contributing in a different way. I'm also, I'm triggered by this because in like the best way possible, because I, we've had people <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> no, we've had two people on our, I lied. One was a uh, podcast guest and the other was a former client of mine, but I so think you guys really need to talk to them. Our episode with the founder of the Umla Bras, she was fantastic. She also wrote all of the, um, hormone books for American Girl Doll too. Why am I blanking on you? I was going to say, Care and Keeping of You with Dr. Karen Anderson. Mm -hmm. I definitely think you guys need to talk to her. She'd be fantastic. And then um, Callie Shea. She is a hormone health coach. I think she would be a fantastic entrepreneur for you guys to talk to as well. I'm just so fascinated by everything your guys' podcast has evolved into. Oh, yeah. I mean, and we love that. We're recently – we reached out to – uh, she's like a fit, like a CrossFit gym owner. She's over in Jersey uh, through a friend of ours who like, she's like a total badass. She was on like the rocks show. And like, so we're hoping to oh, wow. eventually talk to her awesome. and like, she was in Vogue magazine. Like her story is so awesome. Wow. But like, that's, this is where this platform leads you is to be able to talk to people who are just like you, but they look different. They speak different. They have a different way of presenting themselves, but at their core, they're very much the same. It's to me, I want to be inspired by things. And so I look for stuff to inspire me to go, wow, I can relate to that. I hear my story and their story. So it's, yeah, it, this has been, I mean, 
I guess I could, I don't mean to like hijack your show, but like, no, go for what, it. like Emily, <laughs> what do you feel that you have learned in the growth of cycle chats that you could kind of like share towards this? Oh man. I mean, everything, uh, you know that <laughs> you're, yeah, literally everything. I mean, I felt like I knew who I was before we started our podcast, but the self-discovery journey that I've gone on has been such an exceptional one. And I'm really thrilled because as I say on our podcast, you know, Steph and I are both actors. We work in the theater scene. And my favorite part of acting is stepping into somebody else's shoes, having empathy with that person or sympathizing with what they're going through and portraying their story in the best way that I can. And I love stepping away from that character, whoever they may be, and saying, well, what do they have that I don't have? And what do I want from them? What can I gain and learn from their experience? So I always say that I like pick my favorite character trait that that character has that I've portrayed and like kind of stitch it onto myself like I'm a Sally doll because I know Stephanie (laughs) loves uh, Nightmare Before Christmas is her favorite. Yeah, I do not like it. It gives me nightmares. But besides that, um, so I kind of stitch it into myself and I feel like the same thing happens to me for podcasting actually where the more people I've spoken to now and I think we're officially like more than 60 episodes in, uh, but I know it's less than that with our main podcast. Um, But 60 episodes in now, that means that I've spoken to 60 different people at least. I take away something from each person that we've spoken to and I get to like impart that version of myself into myself. And I've become an infinitely better human being. I've become a lot more confident. Of course, I still have things to work on. Stephanie and I literally just had like a bad communication thing happen the other day. And then we had one at PodFest where I got mad and I was triggered. So like, there's still things that I'm working on, but at least I'm Mm. on the right path now. And like the community, yeah, the communication thing for me is, is the best part because I get to leave every relationship that I'm a part of and be like, ah, I know that I'm communicating at basically the best of my ability. I'm not holding anything back. And I think that's really important. And especially for women, because we hold Mm -hmm. so much inside because we're told to. So if if we can communicate what's actually happening in our feelings and our emotions, then we will make the world a better place because we all have stories and we need to share them. And that's what like, that's just what destigmatizes you as a human being and takes down your walls is just sharing your story. Because like Steph was saying, everybody has similarities in whatever story we have. And that's the connection and the puzzle piece that we have as women, because there is an underlying story arc for each one of us that is so similar. And I think that's really freaking cool. (laughs) It is. Yeah. No matter how different we are, we all have a few things in common. Yeah. So here at CEO-ish, we are big on conversations centered around entrepreneurship, social media, and mental health. Can we hear each of your stories and journeys in the performing arts and theater industry? Yeah. Yeah. Steph, you want to go? You want me to go? No, take it away. You are so kind and gracious to let me go first. So it's your turn now. Tag your it. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Um, So for me, theater was not really like a choice. I don't feel like I ever had a choice with theater. Uh, I grew up with two older brothers and my middle brother, Matthew, was an actor. Always loved to be an actor. And I remember when we were younger, we would go see him perform or I would go see him perform when I was younger. And I just remember sitting in the audience and being like, I want to do that. I want to be on stage. So it was kind of like handed to me in a lot of ways. I wasn't like, do you want to do theater? It was like, Mm -hmm. here, this is presented to you. And I I think this is meant to be. Um, So I told my parents that I wanted to do it. I started getting more involved. I started doing theater. My brother also forced me to like do literally we would play dress up all the time. My brother is very gay, very happy, has a husband, um, would dress me up as like Ariel in The Little Mermaid and he would be Ursula. I mean, like he was the queen and I was the princess in our family. Um, I love that. And 
I just, I, I'm so thankful for him all the time because he was really hard on me from a young age about like theater and stuff. And we've talked about it so much. He's always like, I'm so sorry. I was terrible to you. I'm like, no. I mean, yes, it's like, of course I have trauma from whatever you told me, <laughs> but like, I'm also super thankful for you being so, um, so critical because it forced me to look at things in a different way and like forced me to be do better at, or do better than I even thought that I could do. Um, so then I went to undergrad for musical theater. I was basically going to kind of give up on what I wanted to do, which was be in front and center because I had a awful experience in undergraduate. I had a director. There was one director in this program um, and he – was awful. I mean, just, yeah, I don't know what happened, but he did not like me. There was, he blacklisted me. So I was not in a show in my program. Yeah, it was awful. For three years, I didn't get into a a show, which was insane. There was maybe like 50 people in my program. So the fact that I was like the one being left out was really hard. Um, And then I went to London and I studied abroad for three months and my life changed. I mean, just like so drastically, I lived alone with a woman who had, you know, was a host family and I had to take the bus by myself. I had to pay for things by myself. I had to make my own schedule and just like all these things that I hadn't ever done for myself. So I grew up really fast in just like kind of independently. And when I came back, I remember for the first show that I auditioned in undergrad, I got a finally got a callback for it and like ended up finally getting into the show. And we had to have these really stupid audition meetings with him afterwards. God, I hated this man so much. Um, and he would always tell me how disappointed he was in me. I was like, thanks so much. You're not my dad. Um, but when I got back from London, he was like, I don't know what happened to you, but you're just living your best self or something like that. And I was like, yeah, like I I just, you know what? I, I said, I learned something that your opinion doesn't matter. That's what I said. Mm-hmm. And I left that audition <laughs> meeting and I was like, peace, dude. So I was planning on kind of leaving the front center stage kind of away. And I was going to go for costume design for grad school because I was like, ah, that will help me make money. It's a great mm-hmm. backup plan. I'll still be in theater. It will get me in the door. And then... My one of my favorite uh, teacher and undergrad was like, well, I don't understand why you're not auditioning to go to acting for acting. And I was like, oh, well, I don't think I could. I don't think I'm that talented. I don't think I'll get accepted into any grad schools for acting. He was like, no, I think you should do it. So I auditioned. I got in and then I came to Florida because I got a full ride to my graduate school, FAU. And I was one of 10 students that got accepted into their acting MFA program. And I did that and then was planning on moving to Philadelphia after. And my plans got totally derailed because I met my husband. And now I, 10 years later, am still in Florida, hopefully (laughs) to leave eventually because, sorry, Florida, but, you know, you you got some issues. Um, But, yeah, theater is such a beautiful place. And I, I think for me, the reason that I got into it first and foremost was not only my brother was also because theater is a place for people who feel uncomfortable in their own skin to be able to step into somebody else's aura and just feel confident in that. You don't have to be yourself. You're not presenting yourself. You're presenting somebody else. And there's a lot of comfort in that when you're like 13. And like we were talking about earlier, going through puberty and you're like, this is super weird. I have feelings for these people and this is strange. What is this? So that was, I'm so thankful for theater for that for so many reasons, because it's like the place that outcasts can go and just yeah. feel at home. And for me, that that's always how I treat it. I wish that's how other people treated it, but mm. that's how I treat it. So that's kind of my thing, unless I get on a really long tangent about theater and why I don't like theater <laughs> and how there's a lot of bitchy people in theater, but I'm not going to do that. Stephanie can go instead. <laughs> don't worry. That'll be coming later. <laughs> yeah. <when I> <laughs> um, I don't know. For me, like theater kind of came about because I was told that I was talented. And I was like, all right. 
And I liked to play dress up and I liked to put on makeup and all of that stuff. So it started very young for me. Um, and how the mental health part of it ties in is a little bit more, uh, kind of takes more of the lead for everything for me because I just loved the way it felt to make people happy and like mm -hmm. to make them laugh. And that's because I dealt with a lot of anxiety. I dealt with I, – I, you know, I think depression, everyone's got it, quite frankly, I think to some varying degree. But I just, I always remember being a very nervous child. And as I got older, theater allowed me to show me that I could do something that scared the absolute shit out of me. And I still, to this day, though it actually has gotten a little bit better, have this like stage fright. But the la I can't, I don't know even know if it exists anymore, quite frankly, because the last two times I've performed, I'm like, huh. That was different. But kind of the lead up to that even happening was I worked in the backstage arena, on stage. Um, I felt more comfortable being backstage. And I think that was an excuse for me to be, you know, run away from the scary of having to perform and being judged and critiqued. And then when the pandemic hit, um, we, I pretty much, I lost as most people did all their jobs. And, um, during that time I was working at a children's theater. I had just booked a contract for a cruise ship to be a performer on a cruise ship. Ooh, how and fun. then, yeah. And then I had a bunch of like makeup jobs lined up cause I've been a freelance makeup artist for 13 years. It's how I supplemented in between. And it is a big reason why I got into theater cause I loved doing character makeup. And then I realized that that could be beneficial for the stage as well. I am um, you in another life, I swear. Yeah. I, the more that you open your mouth, the more I'm like, huh, weird, but in the <laughs> best way. It's it's thrilling. I love I love meeting people who I'm like, ah, are we twins? Yes. Um, so so when that happened, I took a real hard turn and, and decided to go for a different career and I tried the nine to six really is what it was. Mm -hmm. And I broke. I hated it. It was in a billing department and just the way that the whole thing was run was not – it to me, wasn't healthy. But I was being fed that it was like, you know, you got to do it for the company, for the company, for the company, which is all well and good, but it felt like my free time was non-existent anymore. And so not only was I not mourning the loss of my career – I, two months later, was back working in the middle of a national pandemic and I was like forced to face these really deep-seated fears that I had just managed to like shovel all the way down and I ended up in the hospital twice, which I now know was I was having panic attacks and like psychosomatic symptoms of an anxiety disorder and I didn't know. I was just like something's wrong and I just remember feeling all of this the symptoms. And I was like, I don't, I can't do this anymore. And from that point, which I think we're, I think we're rearing, we're rearing oh. to kind of the year point of it. It's like July 4th, I was let go from the hospital and I went in for like three days on the second time around. The first time they were just like, we don't know, here, take this, go to sleep. And I was like, okay, cool. And then it kept happening. And then the third time, the second time, they're like, let's run some tests on you. And then they released me with a piece of paper and they're like, yep, it's anxiety. Good luck. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> anything? It just blows my mind how like everybody knows, especially in America, like mental health issues are a big problem. Yet doctors will tell you anything but you have anxiety. Like they will yeah. say anything but that almost. They didn't even say it to me. They just handed me a paper that said generalized anxiety disorder. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with it? Had I not read it, I would have been like, Ugh. but it, it, so the, that month last year was, it made me realize everything in my life needed to change. I was so unhappy with who I was, with where I was and what I was doing, I knew that theater and being artistic gave me purpose. But I knew that I needed to be in places that I was respected because I think that was the big issue is that while I never felt respected by the owner of that children's theater that I was at, I loved working with the kids. So there was some purpose still there that kept me going even when I was anxious, even when I experienced sad days. Um, and so for me, learning how to advocate for my mental health and be open about it 
changed my life, literally. I was very open about it with my family, which I love my family to death, but certain members are very hush-hush. We don't talk about things. We don't, we just, you know, we keep it private and I'm not a private person. I like to live out loud. Obviously I, you know, I like to make sure I'm not like divulging my like sexual escapades with like at the family dinner. It's like, hey, grandpa, you want to hear, you know, it's like certain things you don't have to say, but this was important to me. And so I started to be very vocal about it. And I came to find out at a, at like a, a get together with our family that most of my family had gone through the same thing I did. They were sharing their stories of the time they went to the hospital, the time they had to go to a mental health clinic, their therapist that they speak with, their medications that they take. And all of a sudden I felt free. I was like, I am not alone. And I could probably start crying. It is because I am on my period. But also this is very touching for me because it it's what played into where I feel success now. And I give a big, huge shout out to my brother. He said, uh, there is no failure in living a happy life whatever that means to you. And to me, for the longest time, happiness was I have to make a million dollars and be the the boss babe of my company and like do all of this stuff. And I finally realized that I'm richer now than I've ever been, even though my bank account is poorer than it's ever been because I'm actually happy. I love what I do. I'm at a place where if I need to advocate for a day off because I just need a mental health day, I do it. I don't wear that, oh, look at me toughing through everything as like a badge of pride. I go, I'm str- I pick up the phone and I say, Emily, I need you. I'm struggling today. And she says, no problem. Come over. That is strength. That mm-hmm. is success. It's not a dollar sign to me. So for me, the mental health part of it comes in because I always felt like, oh, theater is just not for me and it doesn't make me happy. But I realized that the reason I wasn't happy is because I wasn't setting boundaries and respecting my craft and my worth enough within the industry. So to anyone that is listening, if you feel like, well, I feel like this is what I should be doing, but I just, I feel stuck, reevaluate your values and ask yourself, am I setting boundaries Am I taking care of my mental health? And more importantly, am I am I giving myself the love and recognition I deserve? Because we all deserve it, but I, I think sometimes we get lost in the waves of what's ex- what's expected of us. I cannot thank you enough for transitioning me per- even more perfect than you set me up for this because one of the big things that we really want to talk with you guys about is the mental health piece of all of this. And I love hearing both of your experiences and how positive it has been with the theater because, mm-hmm. I mean, on the flip side of that, you have the competition, the auditioning, the constant rejection, and that's a lot for people to handle. And it takes a very specific personality type to be able to hear no over and over and over again because you get told no more in that industry more than you hear yes and it's the same way in Hollywood and I just think entertainment as a whole mm-hmm. so I'm also curious to hear your guys's perspective on how like working in this type of industry for so long has impacted your mental health because I also feel like where you touched on earlier too is that it would be easier to fall into a character and stay that character than it would be to face mm-hmm. the shit outside Oh yeah. Yeah. I I think when it comes to this industry, you have to realize that not everyone is your friend and they're really good at playing pretend. And you also have to know when there is the line of fantasy and reality. It is a business and you must treat it as such. And people get lost in the kiki of it all and Yes, queen, and yes, gaga. And I love I love all of that. But I also know when it's time to get down to business, I know when to remove myself from a conversation. And I know when someone is very green, I was there. You get lost in the fantasy of it all, but you have to remember that this is, this is still a business and people's livelihoods are quite literally on the line if you mess up. So coming in, doing your job, doing it well. Don't get too big for your britches because there are people who think they're irreplaceable. And I just think in life, you should always know what you have to offer to the table, but don't come in with such a sense of entitlement 
that you completely miss out on opportunities because people will go, there's no humbleness to that. Be confident, not cocky. So those are really the things I can kind of add to that. Keep the ego in check. Yeah. Yes. I always tell my students, please leave your ego at the door. I don't want it in my classroom. I don't need it. Thanks so much. You can leave it right there. (laughs) It can stop outside. But yeah, I mean, for me, when I was 13 and when I was, you know, doing theater and I was the more on the more talented end of things, I was getting the leads and like the popular girls who were in the chorus, right, who were beautiful and were rich and had like these lovely clothes that I could never wear and probably stuff their bra and like a thousand other things that happened. Um, But and also tanned. That's a good story. I almost got into a fight with a girl once because I told her that she looked like an Oompa Loompa on the bus because she (laughs) tanned too much. Um, But anyway, I when I was doing that, when I was 13, when I was the lead, I would get made fun of a lot by those popular girls who were in the chorus. And that was really hard for me. I, I remember when I was in, I think it, it, it must have been in middle school, I played Golda in Fiddler on the Roof. Shocking. I know you can't see me, everyone. But by God, I i mean, you would have to, if you were to choose me out of a lineup. She's fully uh, licensed. Fu- fully, fully Jewish. Fully Jewish over here. 100%. I grew up on Long Island. The show that I'm in currently, my national tour, is called Old Jews Telling Jokes. I mean, uh, literally, so <laughs> Jewish. It ever. It's I, so good. It's so good. It's so good. Not that I'm religiously Jewish, but I was born this way. I can't help it. It's just the way it was. It's a rite of passage. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I'm Jewish by proxy. Yeah. So that's for you me. know what? Is this where you can play on the joke Jew-ish? Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yes. My husband is also Jew-ish. He gets asked all the time and stopped by all the, like, Hasidic Jews. He's like, can you join the minion? And he's like, I'm not Jewish. Yeah, he gets asked all the time in airports. It's super weird. My husband is Cuban. Like, it's very funny (laughs) to me. But anyway, uh, I'm getting off on tangents. So... When I played Golda when I was 13, I had a gigantic crush on the boy that was playing Tevia. His name was Tom. He was on the baseball team, and I was so in love with him. I mean, as much as you can be in love with somebody when you're 13. And I remember in one scene, we had to sit together in a bed in our nightgowns, and it was this whole thing, it's when the uh, nightmare comes and Fruma Sarah. Yeah, super scandalous, right, for a 13-year-old. And I remember the popular girls were sitting in the audience and they were like, ooh, Emily likes Tom. They're in bed together and like just said like, all you know, things that of course now as a 30-year-old I don't care about. But like Mm -hmm. as a 13-year-old, you're like, oh my God, Uh, everybody knows this is the worst. I'm hyperventilating. This is terrible. Please get me out of here. And that's kind of how I felt. Even in high school, I went to high school specifically for theater. Um, and I was in a program with all other kids that were into theater, the outcasts, you know. But even within that, there are cliques, there are hierarchies. And it sucked, man. I felt so unseen and like unloved and just like really bad in my own skin for so much of it because it is such a toxic place if you let it. And like Steph said, yeah. if you like Steph says all the time, you get lost in the sauce of it. And I got lost in that sauce because it it hurts. There are part of it that hurts. And some days you just don't want to even do it anymore. And I am now at a point and I'm I'm super thankful because even in grad school, I went through shit like in grad school, there was a, a sister company that we worked with and they were basically asking grad students to be part of the shows. That was the whole part of the sister company with the grad school. I was the only grad student out of 10 students that they never asked to be in, in their show. You know how bad I felt about myself? I felt like That's absolute terrible. Shit, I felt like the one awkward, (laughs) ugly duckling standing around, moving and waddling my ass, being like, what about me? I know that I'm talented and to be overseen so much, which I usually am because I don't look like everybody else. I look Jewish. I have a big nose. I have big features. I have huge curly hair. You cannot miss me. But I don't look like every other white girl. And because I don't look like every other white girl, 
I get overlooked because they go, well, she can't play this role because she's not the girl next door. And that hurts a lot. That hurts a lot. And I still deal with the trauma that I have from that and from the things that I have to go through. But since the pandemic, I got to kind of reevaluate and reassess the things that were important to me. And I realized I didn't want to audition anymore. I don't need to be in South Florida theater kissing your ass and going out and drinking and partying till 2 a.m. What I do is my job. You will see me in the auditorium. I will have my lines memorized and I have a book. And that's what I do until I'm called on stage and I go and I do my job. That's what it is to me. It's a job. It's my career. That's how I want to be treated. I'm not here to be your best friend. I'm not here to make friends. Um, <laughs> but now, since I've re- reassessed and I'm I'm so absolute. I mean, like I could thank whatever is out there, the Lord, the universe, whoever. Uh, but like, I am in my show now, old Jews telling jokes. I've been part of the national tour for f- almost four years even with the pandemic, except we, of course, stopped running shows, which sucked and that was really hard. But now that it's re-upping, I'm so thankful. I love my cast. I think they're amazing human beings. It's only five people and they are my family. I don't need to audition for anything else. I can do that show literally for the rest of my life because once I phase out of this role, I'll just phase right into the I'm old lady. Jump in. Oh, yeah. Well, so like Perfect. I'm set up for life. I'm good. I'm satisfied. It makes me happy. I'm telling jokes. They're funny. They're sexy. I feel great doing it. It's an yeah. easy show for me. I'm th- literally, I don't want, I, I can't ask for anything more. Yeah, that sounds perfect. Yeah. You know, Touring brings up a great point too because I we wanted to touch on touring as well. How do you keep your mental health in check when you're on the road and you're not in your normal space and in your normal mm. routine? Because that gets hard. I mean, you're oh, off your diet. You're, oh, yeah. you're not working out. Like all of the things that would normally be in your day-to-day life. So I would say for me, the first place that we went on my tour was Texas. And luckily enough, because we are such a small cast, it's a little different than like a national Broadway tour, right? You're not like bus and trucking it anywhere. We get flown to these places. There's five of us. They usually set up really nice accommodations. Um, I'm, I'm super thankful for the producers of the show. And when we were in Texas, we actually all lived in a hotel in the same hall and had our own individual rooms. And it was so nice. But like you're saying, Taylor, it what it was static, right? It's a hotel room. So it's like very clean, not very homey. So there's not a kitchen. Well, actually, there was in that hotel. They actually (laughs) got us rooms with kitchens. Yes. So they so I was able to go get my groceries and cook my own food. Exactly. (laughs) You know it. Um, So that was great. But like, the bed's not my own bed. It's not, mm-hmm. my husband's not in there. So for me, what I do on tour, and I take this blanket with, with with me wherever I go, it's upstairs on my bed right now. I actually went out and got a blanket when I was in Texas. I went out and got this little like throw blanket. I put it on my bed every night. I slept with it. I brought it home. And now it comes with me on every tour that I go on so that I have a piece of home that makes me feel more comfortable in whatever space they're yeah. sending me up in. Um, and that's, that's super important. And then it's up to me, like you are in charge of your own life. You're in the driver's Mm -hmm. seat all the time. So you get to decide, like, if I don't want to go out after a show, if they're going to go, you know, usually it's like they want to go get food. We're not drinkers. None of us are. Um, and sometimes I'm like, you know what, guys, I'm good. I'm just going to go home and like get into bed and shower, take off this makeup and just like read a book or watch some TV, whatever it is. But I get to decide. I think if I was younger, like if 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 this was 10 years earlier, Emily, if I was in my early 20s, I think it would have been a different answer. I would have looked at this differently. But since I've gone on tour in my late 20s to now my 30s, I'm just like, you know what? I don't, I don't give a crap. But I, mm-hmm. I take, I always have my books with me. I always take you know, because our schedule is really, really nice. We do eight shows a week, but usually they're Wednesday through Sunday. So I'll have Mondays and uh, Mondays and Tuesdays off. And I always have like a ton of books. So I always make sure to read for about two hours a day outside in the sunshine in the morning after I have my breakfast. If there's a gym, I'll go to the gym. If not, I work out in my, you know, in my bedroom. 
And and that's how I do it for me personally. But once again, it's a job. I'm going to my job. And then afterwards, I get to kind of decide how I want to play things. I can pick up the groceries that I want in that hotel room and in all the other places that have had kitchens um, and cook what I want to eat. I want to stay pretty regimented like I am. I don't want to throw anything out of whack because my body, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness like uh, probably four years ago, probably right after I started touring. Um, And if I eat too much food out, my body is like, well, no, no doggy, no, no. Go back to eating the things that you cook at home. So I'm like, okay, you got it. Sorry, body. And I, we just did that too since Steph and I were in podcast yeah. in Orlando. I ate out like every night and then I came home and it was my birthday week and my husband was like, let's just go out and let's party. I was like, oh, God. So now my body's like, oh, please, ma'am, please eat, you know, tofu and the greens that you like to eat and that we like to digest. No more takeout. Please vegetable. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So given that, how do you guys think that your formal education and professional training in being a performer has helped you get started with your podcast? Because I'm assuming you guys felt a little bit more prepared for it than we did when we got our start. Also, not to mention both of them have the best voices for podcasting. I could listen to Steph talk all day. You're the first human being ever to say that to me because I have this like horrible thing about my voice. I feel like it's very, cause I'm from Boca. And so I feel like it's very like Boca, like it, like, I, I don't know what it is. Like there's like a rasp to it and I'm like, Oh God, my voice. And so I've always been really critical of it. And that literally just made my whole evening. No, Thank I'm over you. here like, totally like, do you get an ASMR channel? Like, <gasps> Oh God, don't tempt, you guys. don't tempt her with a good time. I've been thinking <laughs> about it. I tell Emily all the time. I'm like, we should do like ASMR stuff. And she's like, what? for what? And I'm like, I don't know. Just a whole episode of us just whispering. Yeah, Thank you. I whisper might. Whisper that episode. Um, I, I, I'll, I guess I'll kind of take the wing yeah, on this. Go. I would say that it taught us that I don't, I don't, want, I don't even know how to word this. It gave us freedom to do what we actually wanted to do creatively instead of having to follow along a script. But because we had such um, an intensive background in being dialogue focused and like, you know, strategic beginning, middle and staging, things like that, I think it allowed us to, to not just fly off the cuff when we do interviews, we're really prepared. And so when those those improv, so to speak, conversations happen, they're a lot more fun for us because it's not scripted. So for us, we're like, ooh, exciting. We're going off the beaten path. But then we're able to go, okay, hold on. We're going to go right back to to these couple of questions. So I think us being trained to do all of these things and memorize and be on top of your lines and organize and taking care of your own self and you know, kind of knowing the the show, so to speak, allows us to. Well, it just allows us to have a little bit more fun and creativity in it, but also keeping very much on a schedule and on a, I guess, a controlled platform. Because I know, I think probably more for me, though. I feel like Emily. I'm corrupting Emily. I used to go off the train tracks all the time. And now I feel like Emily's like, I'm going to just break this fucking thing and we're going to go into full gear. So it's, I feel like we're, we're starting now to like morph really more so into one human and it's been nice. So that's my, my jumbled answer. Hopefully you make sense out of it. It definitely does. Yeah. Yeah. I thought, I think it makes sense. I think it prepared us to like, I always, I put this in my syllabus for my college students, but being early is on time, being on time is late. That's like a huge thing for me. Like if you are being, if you are paying to go to school, you better be in your seat before (laughs) classes started. And that's the same thing that I do when, whether it's, you know, podcasting, I want to be there 10 to 15 minutes early or whether it's a rehearsal, I'm going to be there 10 to 15 minutes early, whatever it is. It's just, it is that preparation. I think like Steph was saying, cause that is the job. And then 
also it is connecting, right? So it's the idea that I say something, you receive it, and then you give it back. I'm doing like a hand motion that I learned from Leonard mm. Skinner. Uh, but that is the <laughs> that is the that's the whole thing. It's like we used to do this exercise with polls where you would throw a poll, the person would receive it, and then they would throw it back to you. And if the poll did not reach the other person, it's because you did not throw your poll or catch the poll with the intention of receiving or giving. So that's the whole thing. So I think communication for us was really big because mm. we learned, we literally, that was, that is acting. It is mm-hmm. a giant like leap into the human psyche. You are studying these people and what makes them human and what empathy and sympathy is. And like that lends itself so well to podcasting because that's what this is. It's just connecting. We're giving, you're receiving, you receive, we give, all of that good stuff. Everyone's going to turn that into a drinking game now or a sex thing. I apologize, (laughs) but you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm going to turn it into an audio message or not an audio message, but like an audio recording that we put over an Instagram reel and make it clickbait. Exactly. Giving All about giving and receiving. This episode is going to get so many likes because all the gentlemen are going to be like, what are they talking about? Title this podcast, Giving and Receiving with Cycle Chats. Yes. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. That's all we're doing here, giving and receiving. All right. Well, we have made it to our last question, and this is our favorite question to ask every single one of our guests, and that is, what is your guys' favorite self-care product under $50? Ooh. Hmm. What is my favorite? The, the stun in both of the Ben faces. and Jerry's ice cream. No. Um, Love that answer. I mean, That's a good answer. But yeah, Ben and Jerry's. Does that work? Yeah. Do you have a favorite flavor? Uh, hell yeah. Uh, I really like, uh, I mean, I love all the stuff that has the peanut butter in it, but my husband oh, is apparently too. allergic to peanuts. I'm putting He's that lying. in air quotes, everyone, <laughs> because it's I don't true. know. I fed my husband some nuts in the past. He's never had a problem. I, <laughs> I, I think it's all a lie that his mother made up and it happened when he was a baby. So I, I think it's all a lie. I tell him to get tested for it. Yeah. Emily just unleashed. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. I I fed him almonds before. He's fine. He's not a, you know, he was like, I'm allergic to pine nuts. He ate pesto. I was like, pine nuts are in pesto. Um, But anyway, so I can't eat the flavor that I love, but I love the cinnamon roll flavor is delicious. It's it's hard to get, but it's really good because there's little pieces of cinnamon roll dough in there. And that's, I mean, just fantastic. Uh, I also really enjoy, I think it's called the America Dream Cone, right? Yeah. Yeah. That one is super delicious as well. Mine's not a food. It's a good pillow that supports your neck. Oh, mm, mm, that's mm. a good product too, for Ooh. sure. Yeah, mm. that's it. That's that's all I have. My pillow. And my pillow was definitely. My pillow was definitely over fifty dollars, and I did not pay for it. Oh, I I stole it from. On oh Amazon. wow! <laughs> yeah. So. Oh no, no. My friend bought it, and I stole it from her. And by stole it from her, I mean she gave it to me as a going away gift. And I still oh, sleep with that. Sounds pillow. like a good friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I just answered my own question because I was like, wait, is this a bed pillow or is this like a travel neck pillow that we're mm-hmm. talking about it's just here? A bed pillow. Yeah. Love that. Perfect. All Good right. sleep and food. I feel like that's us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. Emily and Stephanie, thank you guys so much for joining us today. I feel like we could talk to you guys for three hours straight if you would let us. But where can our listeners find you and listen to your podcast and anything else you want to plug? You want to go? You want me to go? Me. Okay. So you can find us on Instagram at Cycle Chats, all one word, C-Y-C-L-E-C-H-A-T-S. I was thinking about Cycle Cats, which is what we call our <laughs> listeners. Um, but Cycle Chats, all lowercase, no spaces. That at- explains the headphones, too. Yeah. Yes, oh, yeah. exactly. So we're Cycle Cats because we have pussies. And yeah, you can either take it or leave it. Some people don't like Perfect. that. Steph has to go. Go, go, Steph. Okay. Bye, Steph. Thank you. We love you. We love you. <laughs> Bye, guys. Go make theater magic. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you can find us at Cycle Chats on Instagram 
Or you can find us on our website that Stephanie worked extremely hard on, www.cyclechats.com. All of our episodes are there. We have a blog post every other Friday. And then since this is dropping in August, I can say that we have some really exciting things that are happening in July. So many things are happening. This is like the biggest month ever. Uh, We're dropping a brand new show, which is why you guys are here, called Cycle Swaps. So if you have not listened to these lovely ladies on their episode of Cycle Swaps, make sure to go do that. And also, we will have started and dropped our first episode on YouTube called Chit Chats, which is going to be a basically just a episode of just Stephanie and I talking about different topics, debating on makeup and other things that we talk about on a daily basis. So we're really excited to start our video element of the podcasting journey. So those are like the two really big things that we're unleashing in in July, which is both terrifying and exciting. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Taylor and I are going to get our start on doing videos too. And we are both nervous and excited to do that. It's been, it's been tooth and nail. It's I don't been super fun. <laughs> I like it. I, I mean, I think it's fun. Steph and I are, you know, we're actors. So like mm-hmm. to be in front of the cameras is, is fun and to just talk with her and kind of our evolution and how different we are now and the things that we just debate about. Because something that I'm sure you guys can relate to this, something we say all the time is that we feel like we're podcasting 24-7. So when we're talking like in the car, we have like an, a mini episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. We're like, but how does that make you feel? <laughs> and so it just kind of seemed natural to just film it and take it to the next level. It's perfect. That's exciting. Yeah. yeah, we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Everybody go check that out. And yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, ladies. Uh, and once again, we could speak for three hours. I think that's yeah, uh, going to be a new record. Yeah. <laughs> all right, CEOs, that is it for today's episode. We hope you guys enjoyed it. And as always, you can find all of our episode and guest information in the show notes, as well as on our website, www.coishpodcast.com, spelled like our name without the dash. Thank you all so much for supporting our show. And for more CEO-ish, be sure to give us a follow over on Instagram at CEO-ish podcast. And be sure to follow us on our personals at Chloe Elizabeth Creative and at Tay Graham Biz. Be sure you're subscribed to CEO-ish wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really love the show, be sure to give us a five-star review, whether that be on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. It really does help us out and we read every single one. We love you guys so much and thank you for tuning in to CEO-ish. We'll see you CEOs in the next episode. Bye.